Bose is the presenting partner of Beyond the Grid. That's because Bose QuietComfort 35.2 goes beyond what you would expect from a pair of headphones. Just flip the switch to experience the industry-leading active noise reduction feature and all distractions of the world around you fade away, allowing you to focus on what matters to you. Hi, I'm Stefano Domenicali and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Welcome everyone to another edition of Beyond the Grid. My name is Tom Clarkson and joining me this week is a man who used to be the team principal of Ferrari. I've known him for many years. In fact, we sometimes used to run the tracks together on a Thursday night. At least we did until he took the top job because he then no longer had time. Either that or perhaps he just got bored of showing me a clean pair of heels. I'm talking about Stefano Domenicali. He's had an extraordinary career. He spent 23 years at Ferrari, where he worked his way through the ranks to become team principal for more than five years. And beyond no illusions, he ran a very slick racing team. His Ferrari was a very fast Ferrari and an approachable Ferrari. Of course, he's no longer with the team. He swapped the horse for the bull, and I'm not talking Red Bull, but Lamborghini. So he's no longer involved in F1. And it was fantastic to sit down with him again to do this podcast. Stefano lives in Monza, and while at the Italian Grand Prix, I headed over to his place and had a good catch-up. As ever, he was courteous, thoughtful, and provided great insight, including some tales that I'd never previously heard. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Stefano, welcome to Beyond the Grid. Just a quick word on where we are. We are just opposite the Monza Park. And for a man who was born in Imola, I can quite see where your passion for racing came from. Well, actually, that's a sign of destiny, you know. I was born in Imola, my wife was born in Monza, and we live basically in the park of Monza. So, as you know, from our house to the track is literally five minutes, even less, with a bicycle. So, that's, as I said, a sign of God. And uh, the passion started when I was very, very young. When I was a kid in Imola, you know, watching all sorts of racing, two, four, more than four wheels, I don't remember, but (laughs) (laughs) that started from there. And then, uh, funny enough, it seems strange, but it's true. When uh, when I was a teenager and I was going at school, you know, during the weekend, there was uh, a guy that was going to the track of Imola, helping in the specific case uh, in the paddock, the truck to be parked in. So I remember that was, uh, I had picture, by the way, when I was young and I was parking the track of uh, all the F1 team and, uh, and I had picture with the uh, people that uh, later on became almost my colleagues. And uh, that was funny, but it's true. And uh, that's something that is uh, very special to me because it reminds me, you know, my roots. But where did this passion for cars come from? Is it at your family? Not really. The passion is coming from the fact that, you know, when you are born in Imola or you're born in Imola, you the school are behind the, the track. He, in that moment uh, of life, there were racing of uh, motorbikes, uh, of cars, and of course the, the, the fact that the Ferrari uh, has nominated the track in Imola, you know, these sort of things. And you start up in uh, having all the weekend, uh, trying to be curious, uh, looking around, and, uh, and that's really where he, the passion came from. So there's a passion for racing. Now, it's been four years since you left Ferrari. Um, how much do you miss Formula One? Well, of course, uh, Formula One has been my life for uh, 
my life, apart from four years, I would say now, uh, 23 years in Ferrari, all in Ferrari. In, it is uh, something uh, unique and special. And for sure, uh, the passion is staying. Uh, the stress is very high uh, when you are in Formula One, mainly with the Ferrari team. Uh, of course, I miss it from one side, uh, but on the other side, what I gain is really more time for my things, for my family. The weekend, I always watch the race because that's my, as I said, my passion. I'm still involved in, in that sort of things because I'm uh, in the World Motorsport Council uh, as a FIA president of the Single Seater Commission. So, you know, I'm always in contact with everyone there. Therefore, it's something that I, I do follow in a different way, of course. Uh, but now I'm totally committed to a different job that is very interesting. We're going to come on to that in a minute. But just a bit more about Ferrari. You say 23 years. And it was a fascinating career path for you because you really worked your way through the team. In fact, was there a department that you didn't work in? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, maybe in production with the head, I would say. <laughs> Apart from that, you know, I start with the uh, business administration in uh, fiscality. Then... Uh, Parallel to that, I was also responsible because I was a, a race director for MotoGP and, and, and cars. So I was a race director Mugello. Then that responsibility came to me. I'm really sorry to interrupt. Are you related to the Dominicali? No. Who are, no, uh, of course, okay. we know very, very well, but there's no okay, familiar relationship. Okay, you work for Ducati? Ducati, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, no. And then during, let's say, the Formula career, Parallel was always involved with the, with the activity of a track, so I know quite well. And uh, it was a great experience also being a race director, uh, you know, at that time. And then I move uh, in the different departments like sponsorship, uh, human resources, uh, administration, uh, team management, uh, and so on. And then up to the maximum. How did the Scuderia change during your 23 years? Of course, uh, you know, it, it has been at the beginning. When I came in, it was a very difficult time. A lot of different changes every year. There was a reshuffle. Difficult moment. I remember when I came in, there were Berger and Alizy uh, with a V12 that was uh, sounding incredibly high, beautiful uh, uh, music. But we had a lot of problems with reliability organization. Then, uh, since um, 1991, also Montezemolo came as a president and he started uh, you know, the foundation of a new era. In 1993, Jean Todt came as a team principal of Ferrari. And I was uh, working with him since the first day because actually I moved from the first two years in, on the GT side to F1 department when he came in. So, and that moment, from that moment onward, we had an incredible period where, you know, we, I would say Montezemolo together with Todd, we were able to create a great team. Ross coming in, Rory coming in, uh, Paolo Martinelli, head of engine, um, you know, all these people together. Then we had, of course, the... Period, fantastic period with Michael, uh, together with Rubens, uh, with Eddie Irvine. This period was uh, really an incredible time where I was a sporting director. It was really something unique, I would say, a period uh, difficult to repeat. Do you feel that Todd and Montezemolo took you under their wing? Were you their yeah, yeah, protege? I think that they made me grow. Uh, they, you know, they, they realized that they had to have fully trust on me because I was fully dedicated for the job. You know, I remember, you know, when you are in that business, you work day and night with no stop. And I felt that uh, there was a commitment from, uh, from them to make me grow. And uh, I have to say that uh, uh, at the end of the day, they were the ones that decided to put me at the last stage 
as a team principal. So I will always remember that and we always thank them for that. What did you learn from those two guys in particular? Is there one thing that stood out from each of them? I think that they are for sure uh, different people uh, with different characters, but both uh, very, very passionate at their job. Uh, Montezemolo had a previous sporting uh, experience, but then when he was there, he was able to reshuffle the, the, mainly the image and the cars on GT side uh, in a fantastic way. Uh, then uh, he was uh, able to hire the Todd that was very focused on the, the way of working, very detailed, very uh, spot on uh, in all the details and never give up, uh, always uh, with a lot of dedication, with a lot of uh, pressure on everyone. So I would say that uh, it was, and it is also now, because in any case we still have relationship very strong, uh, you know, a great reference not only for me, but for all the people that were working in, in Ferrari at that time. Talk to me now about the the influence of Michael Schumacher on you, because you were there throughout his time at Ferrari. Um, he, you know, at the beginning, uh, Michael came in, uh, I remember, he was for sure already great and incredible as a driver. And you felt that uh, since the first time that uh, in uh, when he came in in 96, you know, very, very focused, you understand the, immediately how different from was from the other in terms of way of working and of course in terms of talent. Uh, but uh, later it was a little bit cold at the beginning because he was coming from a different mentality. Then uh, the relationship grows a lot uh, day by day and uh, I would say on top of the business point of view we were able to create an incredible relationship and uh, that was uh, really out from the normal business perspective. We were able to create together in a sort of things where, uh, you know, out of the hours where we were on track, we were able to stay together, playing uh, together, getting out to, at the restaurant with the team together. So creating really the, an incredible atmosphere. Difficult, as I said, to repeat because that was very, very specific to that. But on the professional side, I would say what I learned from him and what he teach to the Formula One together with the engineers. He was able to, let's say, I use this kind of example, close the eye and try to do a super slow-mo with a performance perspective in order to see that every single frame of the, uh, of the lap, in this case, had something to give in terms of gaining an advantage. Therefore, by doing that, he was able, once again as an example, to invent together with the engineers the different switches to be able to have different performance at the braking, at the entry of the corner, in the middle of the corner, at the exit of the corner, adjusting the brake balance during the straight. So that was the ability of, uh, let's say, closing the eyes and try to think step by step what I can do to improve my level as a driver and as a team. So that was, for me, the most incredible thing that I saw when we were working together. And he was more than a driver to the to Ferrari? Yes. I mean, he has a, such a charisma that was really uh, something more than a driver. Then, uh, step by step, he understood his role that was more than that. And I think that, uh, you know, for example, I remember that officially he didn't want to speak Italian because he was too precise to allow himself to make a little grammar, grammatic mistake, as we are doing when we speak English as an Italian. But... Uh, uh, inside the team, it was uh, much more relaxed. 
but he has a sort of this kind of uh, self-protecting mode when he was out of the environment of the team. And on that, uh, I remember that, I do believe that, uh, when we, I remember when we discussed about it, when he decided to retire for the first time, it was not because he was connected to the activity itself in the team. He was living day and night with the team. It was more what it was uh, the pressure from the outside that was something that, uh, let's say, he had more difficulties to do it in the way that, uh, of course, a, a person like him or a, a super uh, important uh, VIP like he has to be treated, uh, has to behave. So, but uh, the way that he was living the team was uh, totally uh, incredible and fully committed to the, this kind of uh, uh, way of working. And another thing that I have to say that for me was really incredible that you never heard from him any single word against the team. In case of a mistake, in case of a problem, never. Inside, of course, very tough to say something cannot happen, blah, blah, blah. But outside, I remember when he had the big crash in Silverstone, if you remember. Like 1999, when he broke his leg. The problem was uh, that we didn't fix a joint in the in the braking, in the in the in the tube, uh, so there was no pressure, and so there was a mistake. Uh, but he never said that officially. He never said anything against the team publicly, and this is something that uh, when you are part of a, such an intense, uh, uh, or uh, when you are part of this group, that makes the difference because then you are totally dedicated. Remember the mechanics, the technician were totally with him because of this. Is that what differentiated him from the other great drivers of the era? And I'm, I suppose I'll say it, I'm thinking Fernando Alonso. I would say Fernando, uh, I do believe Fernando is, uh, uh, and it's a shame that now I heard uh, that uh, he will retire uh, for Formula One because it would be a big loss. Because I, I rate Fernando uh, an incredible driver. But Fernando was really good with the team, was really good with the team. Uh, let's say, with this team, it was really fantastic. We want to keep the, it's, uh, uh, everyone joined together with him. Uh, Fernando, at the beginning, is, uh, he, don't, don't forget, is Latin. So it's, it's natural that everyone has a different characteristic in terms of relationship and, and in terms of attitude. And if you see that, uh, I would say that, uh, uh, as always, when you have a, a, um, you know, such a temperamentum or you are such a, a personality, of course, uh, there are certain moments where uh, uh, it's not easy to control. But I have to say that uh, with myself, I didn't have any, any issue. There were certain moments difficult uh, because uh, when you are in a team where you want to win and you don't have the best car, because uh, what I would say, what is the difference from these two periods? Is that from one side, we had the best team ever in terms of positions, in all the roles, in terms of performance, in terms of drivers. Why? When Fernando was, was uh, with, with Felipe, the car unfortunately was not really the best so far for a lot of reasons. And despite that, we were able to get close to win championship. I would say very unlikely we didn't win 2010 and 2012 for two different reasons. Uh, but, uh, you know, despite that, we were able to arrive at the end fighting for the championship. And this is an element that, uh, you know, is not given for granted because uh, top drivers need to have a, a good car. So in that respect, uh, uh, it's natural that if you are not able to get it, you know, the tension is growing. 
because it's the nature of all the championship that they want to do it. And you see today, you see in the past, that's the nature of the approach of a driver that is a champion, that knows that he has a slot of a certain year and he feels anxious if uh, he sees that on the other side, uh, for whatever reason, certain elements of the equation are not going the right direction. So you need to consider also this. But I would say, once again, going to Fernando, Fernando, I, I do rate him uh, uh, so far, yet, even if he has, unfortunately, not the right package, you know, a driver that is able to make in a big difference. Now, like, here's the million-dollar question. Who was the better driver, Schumacher or Alonso? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> the, you know, uh, I, I would say, as always, in terms of numbers, Michael, but uh, Fernando, you know, d don't forget that, that uh, he was able to win uh, he was able to get closer to be very successful also with Ferrari. Um, as I said, in my view, in the first of all, Michael has finished his career. Fernando, not yet. Uh, so let's see if he, he will be able to win. Uh, if he will be able to win the the so-called uh, uh, triple. What is the name? The triple crown. Triple yeah. crown. Yeah. Yes, I really hope for him that yeah. he can do it. Yeah. Uh, but for sure. Uh, it would have been nice to see them competing with the same car to see who was the best. Oh, that would have been something, wouldn't yes. it? But look, there's something about Michael I'd love to touch on. In that brilliant driver, you've said that. Brilliant team player, you've said that. Brilliant team moulder. So how do you explain the controversies that came with him? And I'm talking Hereth 97. Austria 02. Well, Harris 97 when he crashed into the yeah, field. Yeah, yeah, I was there. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I remember. I'm, I'm explaining for the listeners. <laughs> sure. And of course, Austria 02 when him and Rubens swapped on the last lap. Monaco 06 in qualifying. Exactly. He lost the care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how, how did he explain those to you? How do you explain them? I go, uh, I go back to the point that I said to you before. You know, drivers, they're performing at the maximum level but they are drivers. And when they close the visor, you know, uh, they are living in their, in their uh, universe, not even their planet, in their universe. Therefore, uh, when the peak of tension sometimes is too high, uh, you know, they are human beings. And so it's, it's human that in certain moment uh, you may have, uh, you do believe to be over, you know, uh, the line and you can uh, do something. But, uh, they are too intelligent to understand that. Uh, they maybe not recognize that in front of, of the others because, uh, once again, uh, the drivers are used to wear the helmet. The helmet is not only a safety protection, it's a protection from being uh, real on face-to-face. -face. So, in a sort of a uh, pure communication, I would say, point of view, uh, some of them will never say that they did uh, some mistake. They will recognize after. But as I said, when you are a champion, uh, in all the sport, you see that uh, uh, sometimes something happened that uh, caused them to do mistake. Yeah, well, uh, he was a brilliant man, but I suppose yeah. we all have our flaws, don't we? And uh, let's talk now about you being the team principal. Um, it was a great moment. I remember we used to run the track occasionally when yeah, you were sporting. You didn't have time when you became team principal. We never, we never did that, but. Can you remember the phone call or what the moment you were told that you, you had the big job? Yes, I remember very well because I was on holiday. Uh, Where does uh, Stefano Domenicali go on holiday? Where uh, were you? Uh, normally, I, um, I'm going to the Dolomites. 
Yeah. Where we have a house because I love the mountains. Skiing. Skiing or uh, trekking, jogging, uh, walking uh, because I love the the atmosphere of the of the mountains. So Dolomite's quite high, but it's really nice. But on th- that occasion, I was uh, because it was November, end of the season. I was taking the family uh, to um, Dubai. Uh, so I was there, I remember, and I received a call uh, uh, from um, Jean Todd that he was uh, in that moment. The last year, uh, Jean Todd was becoming the CEO of the company. So he was more on CEO, managing the company than the former one. That he said to me that, uh, uh, you know, that was uh, the decision of the company. And I have to say that uh, immediately after, I remember very well, of course, Montezemolo called me immediately. Uh, one call that we'll never forget is also the call from Ross. As you know, we are a very good friend. Uh, really saying that um, he knew, he had heard that there was a becoming a team principal, so he was congratulating to, him, to me. And uh, that was something special for my members. What about the pressure that comes with team principal? How did that affect you? Well, of course, everyone is, uh, uh, is different from the other. Is trying to manage the pressure in a different way. I am uh, a guy that is trying to keep uh, uh, all the tension inside, not to show off outside. Try to be very protectful to the people that I'm representing. And that's uh, my style. I never shout normally. Uh, it's not me. I don't want to cut and copy uh, anyone else because everyone is different. So you cannot put a mask in front of your face because that mask sooner or later will, do, will fall down. Uh, therefore, I'm trying to, to, to be in this condition, uh, a reference for everyone, try to take my decision, knowing that you cannot do everything alone, knowing that you, to make the difference, you have to create a, a great team, otherwise it's difficult or almost impossible. And, uh, and knowing that when you are uh, in that role in Ferrari, it is something that uh, is really special and uh, unique. And I have to say today, if I'm thinking that um, uh, being a very normal guy, I was able to be in that position for so many years in Ferrari. Now, in the other super sport grand of Lamborghini, being the ch- chairman and, and CEO, it's something that if I think, well, I'm very, really proud, of course, but very lucky to think that I, I'm able to do that. It's fantastic. But of course, when you were team principal, you came in and there was that wonderful rivalry with McLaren, wasn't yeah. there? Back yes. Then? So yes. You, you got the driver's title in 27 with Kimi and then, of course, the whole Brazil 2008 with Felipe. That was something I felt robbed. <laughs> no, 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 it's not correct. But first of all, congratulations to Luis that he was able to win his title. Yeah. But I felt very, very sad because on that year we won the constructor title uh, for Felipe because Felipe deserved that title. Uh, I remember that um, in Hungary he was leading easily the race, one, two laps to go, he had a failure on the main straight. There is still the hole on the main straight with a piston in the center of the street for sure. And uh, he was uh, deserving that title because Felipe is an incredible guy, an incredible driver that I met when I was in Ferrari, since he joined the team when he was 17. And I felt that that moment uh, really, you know, the faith was not with him. 
and the destiny was not with him because he deserved that title. How do you comfort a guy who was thought he was world champion for half a lap or, or 23 seconds? 20 20 seconds. But you know, in that it moment, counted. I remember like it was yesterday, you know, everyone was already screaming, but I was walk, watching the GPS on the map and I was looking at Lewis approaching uh, Glock. And uh, when I saw at that, uh, the penultimate corner that he was uh, getting closer, I said, I cannot say exactly what I was thinking uh, <laughs> on the phone, on the, on the, on the mic. But uh, then I had to turn. And uh, I remember uh, there was on, on the screen, the family of Felipe were cheering and so on. And then by radio said, please tell to Antonio, this is uh, the father of, uh, of Felipe, that unfortunately we have, we have lost. And I remember that moment when you see someone is getting closer to, to them and they're saying uh, something, it was, it was tough. But after, I have to say that Felipe, if you look back at the image of the podium, he was so proud of what he was able to achieve that he was really impressed by the level of his uh, uh, reaction after this. And uh, I remember later on we were together in the room when he was changed. Uh, he was uh, basically out of the overall. Uh, it was his wife there and his family there because it's very typical uh, of him and, uh, and of us that we were watching one uh, to the other on, on the ice without saying anything because I, I would say what you can say. We didn't lose that title in, in that corner. But of course, when you lose in this way, it hurts a lot. How do you console a man whose only dream up until that point in his life has been the championship and it slips away like that? I mean, uh, you, don't, you have to be authentic because to say the same usual story, I mean, it's easy to say, but then he's coming in and he's getting out. I think more than that moment, you have to be close to him in the period after. Because in that moment, there is still the adrenaline that is very high, that is keeping you in any case in a sort of reaction mode. The problem is that is when you realize it, I remember the same situation when we lost 2010 with Fernando and 2012 with Fernando. I remember these nights we didn't sleep and I said, that is not possible. For the second time in a row, the last uh, race, losing in that way. One, it was, of course, the fault of the team because uh, we, there were two drivers to, 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 to cover because after it's too easy, yeah? uh, Vettel and, 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 and Weber. And, and uh, you know, the-, the, the We're in, talking 2010 here. 2010, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And uh, we, unfortunately, uh, because of the safety car at the beginning, you know, there were traffic in the middle when we, we covered Weber. And uh, Petrov <laughs> with the Renault, uh, okay, where is Petrov? I don't know if he's still racing or whatever it is, but in that race, I remember very well, you know, for, for Fernando was not able to overtake, and therefore it was really very painful. 2020, I would say difficult more because we were leading the championship 50 points before the summer break. Then in 1-2, uh, the race after, at the first corner, taken out from uh, uh, Kimi, uh, from Grosjean, Romain and, and Kimi. And the last race was Vettel was involved in an accident, you know, with the, with the primary exhaust broken, normally you stop. Uh, you see all the cars, I remember. remember. I think Bruno Senna turned him round. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's destiny. That's <clears throat> but you, 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 you came out very, very strong after these mm. things, believe me, because it hurts physically a lot. Mm. Do you stay in touch with Fernando now? Do you, do you speak yeah, a lot? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I speak with uh, with uh, I spoken with him uh, when he announced uh, 
you know, his retirement from Formula One. Uh, yeah, yeah. And but I speak also, you know, with all the other guys. with Felipe, we are friends. Yeah, of course, a special guy. Yeah. Do you think Fernando's doing the right thing? Is it is now the right time for him to get out? I mean, as I said, from Formula One perspective, it's a pity because I do believe that yeah. he's still uh, one of the best, with no doubt. Uh, but of course, I also understand his frustration if there is not really a car. I mean, this year, as you see, there are two different championships. And uh, if you're not in the, in, the, in the first championship, the other are uh, something that for Fernando, I would say, not enough after what he was able to win. What's your proudest moment from your time at Ferrari? Uh, the proudest moment uh, as a team, or, or as a team, I would say for sure, the fact that we were able to keep the team strong uh, despite a difficult moment when uh, after many years we were not able to win. And then I was able to keep uh, the focus by everyone. For sure, I was very proud when we won the constructor title in 2008 because the emotion of having lost the title with Felipe was, believe me, very, 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 very strong. And uh, I would say on the other side, you know, if I look back, uh, the funny story is that I don't remember everything. I remember a lot of incredible, uh, incredible uh, things that they did, we did. But uh, I have um, always the stream that is connecting all this moment to be the proudest moment of my life. Because every day I was really very lucky to be in that situation. If you think where I was born, in Imola, I did a normal school, university. And doing these things, doing these things, every day living in this situation, uh, where everyone would like to be in your shoes, mm. I think that this is something that uh, you know that was I was really proud. All right. What about your best memory then? Best memory in terms of memory, oh, that's a good question because uh, I have uh, memories connected to the uh, moments after the victory of the titles that are unique. Everyone. The first for sure was in Suzuka 2000 uh, with Michael as a team. The celebration after was something unique. But also... Were you in the log cabin? Yeah, correct. Which is the, the karaoke, karaoke bar. Karaoke yeah. But, but uh, also when we won the title in, 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 in Budapest, uh, middle of the season, winning 17 out of 18 races, uh, when we celebrate in Spa, where these were moments that uh, really were only the team, only the team there, with no other people, really special, because of the re the relationship we were we were able to uh, to live in that moment. So, fast forward to twenty fourteen, and uh, when was it? April time, I seem to remember. Yeah, you were something like that. Yeah. So that's when it all comes to an end. Yeah. You, you resign from Ferrari. Yeah. Why? Was the writing on the wall for, for a little while prior to the announcement or was it a... a no, I think that uh, it, it was clear that uh, because of the situation of the new engine, we were not able to find the right uh, car. After a difficult year of 2013, I felt it was the right thing to show that uh, there was a need of trying to reshuffle and to do something different. Therefore, I, I spoke with, with Montezemolo and I said, you know, there are certain moments where you need to be uh, strong and uh, taking, I would say, the right decision for the team to see if someone is able to, let's say, get out from this moment because it was a difficult situation of a change of regulation where you have a lot of expectation and we were not able to, 
to deliver a, a great uh, a great car. So I said, listen, I take the responsibility, and uh, and uh, I will be always a Ferrari man because that will not change my my perspective into the future. And uh, and uh, that's really how it came out. I mean, uh, I think it was natural after a difficult year, the previous year, and after go a very bad start on 2014. So I went uh, to see Montezemol. I anticipate my uh, my thought, and uh, and uh, this is what I did. And, uh, then I prepare a letter to all the people uh, in Ferrari because that was my family, and uh, it was a very touching moment that day when I anticipate before being public to the team. I collect uh, all the 1,000 people, different by group, and I one by one I shake hand. So it was really you intense moment with all, 1, all the people, yeah, with all the people, yeah. But Stefano, history would relate. Uh, that you left Ferrari in a bit of a hole, actually, because the Mattiacci replacement didn't work out well, and, and there was a they went into a period, a bit of a trough after you left. That you know, at the end of the day, I, I put myself at disposal of, of the team. Then is you know, you, you may accept or not accept, uh, mm. but I think that at that moment it was correct to for me to do that, and uh, and of course uh, had the pressure become unbearable. It was very high, for sure. That is normal uh, in the in this moment in Italy in in that place, uh, but uh, but that, but that's something that is part of of that job if you do it. So you need to understand. But I do believe that I did it uh, because it was really something that you felt right to do. Any regrets since then? To be honest, you know, it uh, it is a decision that uh, it is not uh, day and night. These kind of things, at least with my way of thinking, you digest it has to arrive after a lot of internal uh, fight. Therefore, after this big internal fight, the decision was taken. After the, the moment, I said, okay. And if I go back, if I look back, I said, considering the situation, the circumstances, uh, it was the right thing to do. So you'd said to Montezemolo, I am a Ferrari man. So was it ever on your agenda to work for another Formula One team? No. You knew at that moment that you were saying goodbye to Formula One. I would say so, yeah. Because uh, as a Ferrari man, you will, you know, the way that I'm devoting myself to that team, you know, to see me with another jacket in Formula One as a sport, I didn't feel uh, good, let me put it this way. Well, at least it gave you some time to be with the family. And yeah, that's your, true. It was a great time. kids. And so what did you get up to in that 2014 uh, it, summer? In summer, I was uh, in the Dolomites. You were in Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was uh, and then helping with the normal things that you discover how big is the world out of Formula One. Because when you are there every day and night, you think that that circle is uh, unique, but the world is big. And I discovered even... <laughs> with more interest afterwards. It's so interesting that in the in Formula One, we travel a lot and, and we meet lots of different people, but you actually had to step away to appreciate what else was out there. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, it's too self-referential. Formula One, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a world where inside you feel a, a very important part of it, despite the role. I mean, no matter. Everyone feels unique. Uh, and uh, with, a, with a certain ego, with a certain, uh, you know, position and so on. But if you look outside, as I said, the world is so big that you understand how limited is this kind of approach if you just focus on that. Therefore, um, 
uh, I appreciate uh, that aspect going out. But for sure, if you are passionate, for what will be always your passion. That is a different story. So now look, cards on the table. So you go uh, spend the summer in the Dolomites. And then the next thing I read is that you're on your way to Audi. Yeah. And was that to front up a Formula One team? Let's see. I was involved in another project. <laughs> and then, so that's what we all thought. Yes. At the time. And then there was discussion at that time uh, if uh, Audi was able to get in. So parallel to my job that was really connected to a new project in mobility, that was very interesting to me, I have to say, new stuff. Mm. Uh, parallel, it was interesting to see how it was possible for such a group to become in Formula One. But then, because of the things that happened, as you know, in, uh, in Germany, you know, that project uh, basically stopped because of this. So how did you wind up with the, with the big job? At, you got the big job at Lamborghini, chairman, CEO, everything. I mean, yeah, well, it was great because uh, you know I received um, well I mean, during the meeting with my. <laughs> what did Montezemolo say? You're working for Lamborghini? What? <laughs> but by the way, Montezemolo left Ferrari because he had you know the, the, the discussion true, with true. The, the, with Marchione. So yeah. I informed him, of course. Um, but um, yeah, I, I remember my boss called me and he said, you know. Uh, in uh, you will you will be appointed chairman of, of Lamborghini. Uh, do you agree? Do, it will be alright for you. So okay, I think it's a good challenge. And then I started that job with a lot of motivation. And I think that honestly we are doing a, well. It's very positive time for Lamborghini. We are growing incredibly well. Put new some, models. Put some numbers on that. How much is Lamborghini growing? To, well, growing. Uh, I tell you, is the sixth year of a growth. Uh, last year we did the world record in terms of sales, 3,800. The first six months we have grown a plus 11% already, but we have launched the new Super SUV, the Urus, that will take uh, us uh, doubling the dimension. So in 2019 we're going to be around 8,000 car. So big Which car. puts you on a par with Ferrari. A little bit less, but uh, yeah, in terms of numbers we are getting bigger. Now what uh, about this SUV, Ferruccio Lamborghini? Yeah. Is he going to be turning in his grave? No. He, because uh, the first SUV was really designed by Lamborghini, LM002, 1986, was the visionary project where Lamborghini was able to do the first SUV where, for example, Hammer, later on, they copied that. So they had that kind of issue. But I have to say the decision pragmatically is very easy to understand. Today, the world, the SUV in all the segment is growing like hell. Everywhere, in all the market, in all the segment, as I said. So there was the opportunity to be different in a super niche of a segment that uh, uh, is giving you the opportunity to be different because Lamborghini has to be different from the other brand. So it's a super sport car with a SUV dressing, 650 horsepower. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, handling like a super sport car. Uh, it's, uh, of course, a car that you can use every day. So it's changing the dimension of Lamborghini uh, making sure that we acquire more customers, different. But if you look at the success of Lamborghini today, it's mainly with the young generation. We did a jump in in two years, in less than two years, from 2.6 to 14 million followers in Instagram, for example. Uh, the kids speak about Lamborghini. We are connected to movies with the singers. And now we, the, what we did is to have a less polarizing image of uh, like it or hate it, but uh, we are really a brand of being very aspirational, very young, sporty, cool, 
we have defined a new way of being, uh, of course, you have to have a lot of money to buy the cars, but um, we are uh, defining the so-called informal luxury. So that informal luxury. Informal luxury sorry. And is, how does that differ to Ferrari? For I would example? say quite complementary, by the way, I feel the situation because Ferrari perspective in terms of customer is a little bit older. They are already, they have already acquired the status of being healthy people. Therefore, it's, uh, we are occupying so far a different uh, uh, part of the, of the cake on which I feel together we are really shaping the strength of the super sport car made in Italy. And are you able to apply what you learned in Formula One to a road car company? I think that I've learned a lot, but I'm trying to keep the, the way that um, the speed, the fact that the green flag is uh, the green flag, there's no delay. So the time to reaction, the dedication, uh, it's something that I bring as a DNA of my, what I have into the business. And of course, you've got the new factory. And, yes, and so we, everything's we have more hired, efficient. Yeah, we have hired the 500 people in, in less than two years. We have doubled the size of the company. Uh, well, it's an incredible challenge. We have uh, uh, an average of 38 years uh, of all the people, so very, very young. So it, it's a great challenge, I have to say. So what chance Lamborghini in Formula One? Because they've been in before, of course, yeah. as an engine. 91, 92, like, yeah, I, I'm prepared right. on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I... Senna tried, I remember those, yes. they put the engine McLaren. in the back of the McLaren. Yeah, before they? going to Peugeot, it was yeah. already done. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, there was no money enough to pay for the commercial side of it, 1993. Uh, but uh, I would say difficult in this moment because the level of investment that Formula One so far needs to be, not to be competitive, to compete is very high. And today, Lamborghini needs to invest in other priority, uh, in new product, in, uh, in the network, in the dealers, and, uh, and, and we are consolidating a big group, a big growth. Therefore, uh, in the short term, I don't see that possible. But in, in life, never say never. Never say never. I mean, there's the 2021 engine regulation. That is too early. Too early. Too early. Okay. So um, what about the future? I mean, you seem very happy in your new role. Of course, it takes you back to Modena. I mean, you're just down the road from yeah, Ferrari. You yeah. know that. Part. I remember the first day uh, I was uh, <laughs> taking the wrong street because, uh, let's see, if Modena is uh, in the center and... Uh, Maranello is left and Santana is right. I was going to the left and I said, listen, I have to turn the, the steering wheel on the other side. Yeah. And you get a decent company car, I guess. I would say so. I cannot complain. <laughs> <laughs> but look, what does the future hold? Would you think we'll ever see you back in Formula One in some capacity? Would you be interested in a sort of larger management role? I, I have to be respectful of all the great job that the people are doing today. You know, I'm very happy in what I'm doing today. I'm following Formula One, you know, as I said, because it's, it's my life. Uh, but to be, it will be presumptuous to say that is a possibility, to be honest. Well, Stefano, it's been great to catch up. Thank you so much, Tom, and thanks to you all. Lots to reflect on there, and while Stefano is not going to be drawn on the controversy surrounding Michael Schumacher, his insight into the man and in the aftermath of the crash at Silverstone in 99 in particular, I found very interesting. Thanks again for your time, Stefano. That's it for this week, but we've got another big name guest for you next week. And to make sure you don't miss out on that or any other episode of Beyond the Grid, why not subscribe? We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and your favourite podcast app. 
And if you want to get in touch, drop us a line using the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid or send me a tweet at Tom Clarkson F1. Your comments are fantastic and some of them have really made me laugh. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.